The voice of reason. The voice of alarm. The voice of stats. The voice of scouts. The voice of Kool-Aid. The voice of dismay. The voice of Davo. Well, the Royals have now lost six out of ten. They are now two and four on this homestand where they had to go six and four. They were two for 18 tonight with runners in scoring position. Three for 24 with runners in scoring position in the series. They left 16 men on base tonight. The Royals have now lost their two-and-a-half game lead over Detroit. Cleveland is now right back in the race, just three-and-a-half back. And for as much as I back Ned Yost here every single night on Clubhouse Conversation, we've backed him pretty much every day all season when people have been negative on him. He was very poor tonight. Very, very, very bad game managed by Ned Yost. As we welcome you into Clubhouse Conversation, where the Royals have taken the wind out of the sails of the fan base here in Kansas City. Two consecutive nights of a packed house. Two consecutive nights of no runs. Just horrible offense. We just gave you the stats for the series. Three for 24. And who would have ever thought you'd see a day where the Royals drew nine walks? A. I mean, who would have thought that would have ever happened on its own, where the Royals draw nine walks? They only allow one and they lose. How do you walk nine times, only give up one, and lose? Absolutely mind-blowing. So let's get one thing straight here. First of all, the offense is the biggest culprit for the loss tonight. I'm not going to put this entire loss on Ned Yost, but I will say Ned Yost definitely contributed to this game tonight. And, and we say here all the time on Clubhouse Conversation that managers really don't make the game go one way or another for the most part. Yeah, I mean, There's been people a lot more stat savvy savvy and you know smarter than me who have done studies on this and a good manager might win you three to four games extra a bad one might lose you three to four I suppose and I think Ned is somewhere in between hovering probably around the 20 range if you rank the managers in Major League Baseball so maybe Ned cost you a game or two a year tonight could have been one of them the game in Boston with Gomes could have been one of them. Tonight could have been one of them. I mean, number one, like I said, the offense is still the number one culprit because James Shields was awesome tonight. Again, seven innings, one run. The bullpen did its job until Ned decided to get in the way of that, which we'll discuss here. But really, if you look at the game tonight, it was essentially lost in the first inning when the Royals had the bases loaded and nobody out. Bases loaded, nobody out. You have to score two runs, especially when you've been struggling as the Royals have, you have to score two runs there. I mean, if you get one hit with the bases loaded and nobody out, you have a great chance of blowing the game wide open with a big crooked number. Because one hit there is probably scoring two, and you got to figure some more positive outs happen there. You get three or four runs. if you if you just Even if you don't get a hit there, you hit one deep fly ball, you know, you can tag from third and score. Aoki could have scored. You have Infante at second. He can move to third in a deep fly ball. And you do the, the next hitter does his job, it's another fly ball. And you get another run. I mean, the Royals have to score at least two runs there in the first inning. Didn't score a single run tonight. Just three atrocious at-bats of, of many to come after that. Billy Butler, awful. Swung at a horrible pitch in the dirt. Same thing for Salvador Perez. Both were trying to apparently hit a home run as their swings were long, their heads were coming off the ball. And Abanez had a bad at-bat as well, but it wasn't near as bad as what we saw out of Butler and Sal. And that was a common theme throughout the night, especially for Sal. I mean, he had the, the double towards the end to kind of tease us, but the game had been put on ice by then in the bottom of the 11th inning. So the Royals have just changed their offensive approach all of a sudden. I, I don't know what's going on. 
it's almost like they're buckling right now. I mean, it, it's still a small sample size to say that they're going into an offensive free fall or saying that they're buckling under the pressure. I mean, but if, if we're being honest here, guys, the Royals could very easily be 0-6 in this homestand. Do you realize that? They were never in the game against New York. They never had a chance <laughs> in last night's game. Had many chances tonight but couldn't score. The third game against Minnesota weren't really in it for the most part. In the two games they won, they came back in the eighth and ninth innings when they were down and not scoring runs. The Royals could easily be right now on a seven-game losing streak when you look at that last game in Texas. Very easily. So it's getting to the point where, yes, it's not a big, big sample size where the Royals are struggling to score runs and not playing good baseball, but it's big enough when you're down to the last 28 games of the season and you're now in a tie with Detroit and Cleveland's right there as well. I refuse to even acknowledge the second wild card right now because the Royals have been in first place for over two weeks now. They've had a nice lead of two and a half games in recent days. I'm not even thinking about the second wild card. That to me is, if the Royals back into the second wild card, it's going to feel like a total fraud season at this point. The division needs to be won. Detroit's falling apart. Miguel Cabrera comes out tonight with an injury. You have no Anibal Sanchez. Joaquin Soria, Verlander's been out and came back. He's not the same. They're running guys named Farmer and Lobstein and some other kids tonight pitched game two I've never heard of before. I mean, their bullpen's awful. Joe Nathan's flipping off the fans. Their bullpen's like putting a gas can. They gave up four tonight in the eighth against the White Sox. And yet somehow the Royals, I mean, they have two three-game losing streaks in a row in their last ten games. They're four and six. And like I said, they could easily be on a seven-game losing streak. So it's not a huge sample size. And, and we've been talking here on Clubhouse Conversation. The Royals are due to regress a bit. They're not going to play 800 ball. But you cannot hit like this I mean it's just pathetic you get a one-run game out of James Shields and you can't win the game so we're going to talk first and foremost like I said about the offense I'm, I'm pounding the offense right now one through nine nobody did a good job tonight in that lineup a couple guys had two hits I'm not acknowledging anybody I before the game we tweeted at Rails Clubhouse on Twitter how we couldn't figure out I shouldn't even say we I mean I guess it's just me but <laughs> whatever I we, we we tweeted out about how we had no idea in hell why Josh Willingham wasn't playing. Now, we do find out from Ned in the postgame that he supposedly has a stiff back, although I have well, – I'm not going to say anything about that. All right, so, so we'll just say he has a stiff back. Willingham supposedly has a stiff back, so he was unable to pinch hit tonight or play. But that, unless this has been going on for a while, I still can't figure out why Raul Abana started three games before that in the last seven. I mean, it's almost like they're platooning right now. So unless this is a fresh injury tonight – or excuse me, unless this hasn't been a fresh injury, it's been going on for a while, which I have a hard time believing. He got on base three times last night, so I'm assuming this must have been a fresh injury today. Then why has Raul Abanez been playing anyways, Ned? So we'll take out the not – the pinch hitting was very questionable tonight, and it's not all Ned's fault. I have no idea why Jason Nix is on this team. He is not a good Major League Baseball player. I don't know why they felt the need to get him on the playoff roster and force Christian Colon off, who they had to trade Danny Valencia to get to get him up here because of his leadership. And Christian's been doing a nice job. Again, limited sample size, and he's been struggling the last 10 to 12 ABs. Who would you have rather had getting those two at-bats tonight, Knicks or Cologne? You could say, well, Cologne, maybe maybe they would say that Cologne can't play first. I know that he can because I've heard that he can before. But Knicks has never played a game at first base in his whole career at the major league level. So don't tell me that Cologne couldn't have gone over there at first base for a couple innings. You're not putting them for two weeks there. Who would you have rather had in the lineup? And that's more of a Dayton Moore thing than Ned Yost, obviously. I'm just pointing out right now that the roster construction, 
I mean, why do you have ne- why is he on the roster? Why do we feel the need to put him on the roster? At some point, they, they keep talking about clubhouse chemistry. At some point, you keep running in these guys left and right, like they're mosquitoes. One comes in, the other one leaves. You bring. I mean, it's like it's or, it's like a circus. I mean, like they've had, they had this. You bring in Downs, you bring in Frazier, or you bring in Willingham, you bring in Nicks. I mean, it goes on and on. Kratz, uh, uh, Hendricks. I mean, they say they have this great chemistry, but why are you? Why do you keep bringing in guys every day, especially marginal guys? I mean, most of those guys I'm fine with. For the most part, we've been giving Dayton more credit. He's been making good moves, but I don't understand the Knicks move at all. What does he provide that Christian Cologne doesn't? They both play a lot of positions. One's proven he can't hit the major league level for many years now. That's Knicks. One has done well in a small sample size, and you made a trade primarily, according to Dayton Moore. If you go back and read the quotes, primarily a big part of that trade was they wanted a better utility guy. They wanted Cologne because of his positivity and his ability to play everywhere and put the ball, the bat in the ball. Like, I mean, so why are you picking up Knicks? It makes absolutely no sense. So I, that's one thing that's not on Ned. That's on Dayton. I, I don't understand why Nix is here, why we're getting so cute here and putting guys in double-A for two or three days. Again, who would you rather have out there, Scott Downs or Aaron Crow? Aaron Crow all day. But, yeah, he's in Arkansas right now in double-A. Hendricks is in double-A, which is fine because he wasn't going to pitch again for a couple days. And But, I mean, you send Cologne down there along with Crow. It's like you're just outthinking yourself here. Like, why? But let's get back to the game tonight. So we talked about the offense, but let's talk now – you know, about Ned Yost and how he just completely butchered the bullpen tonight. I have no clue what he was doing. Now, we know Kelvin Herrera has had arm issues. We know also, though, that he came up as a starter at the minor league level, was a damn good prospect for a while before surgery. We've seen him throw multiple innings several times in the major leagues. I don't have the stat in front of me. I'm willing to guess 10 to 15 times in his major league career he has pitched multiple innings, probably at least two innings 10 times, and definitely five, six, or four or five outs several times. Wade Davis, converted starter, same thing, could definitely pitch more than one inning. None of these guys pitched last night. Herrera, Davis, and Holland were all completely rested. You know the rest of your bullpen is struggling. You know that by the fact that you're somehow going to Scott Downs as your fourth reliever. We'll get to that in a second. But the game, you're obviously struggling to score runs. So you don't even have to go to your bullpen until the eighth. So let's go through it, you know. You're down in the eighth. You go to the bullpen. For Wade Davis, fine. You should. That's a, that's a good move. Wade Davis throws 13 pitches. So he could have gone another inning, but okay, you take him out. That's fine because the protocol is you bring in your closer in a tie game at home after you tie that up in the eighth when, by the way, Cleveland gift-wrapped you a run. The Royals should not have scored tonight. Cleveland with an error and then a mental error to give the Royals a run or they would have been even worse and more pathetic offensively and lost one nothing. but which would have saved Ned Yost a lot of grief because he wouldn't have to answer questions about how horrible he managed his bullpen. But anyway, I digress. So the eighth inning's fine. 13 out of Davis, he could have gone more, but you don't. that's not on Ned because you go to Holland there in the ninth. You always do. You, at, the, at home, you bring in your closer to tie game. So still handle correctly. But Holland throws 10 pitches. You don't score in the ninth. At that point, you have got to throw Greg Holland back out there for another inning. He didn't pitch last night. You cannot allow Cleveland in head-to-head games – Detroit's already won. You're tied with Detroit if you lose. You cannot allow. You've got a fresh Holland. You cannot allow Cleveland to win this game after you come back and tie it. You go to Holland for the 10th. He threw 10 pitches and didn't pitch last night. You know damn well that your offense could take two or three more innings to score it. I tweeted that after the 8th. The Royals need probably three to four more scoreless innings out of their pen. They weren't scoring runs tonight. You've got you've to you've assume they're not going to score runs. 
And if Scott Downs is going to be your fourth guy, especially. So Greg Holland has to come back out for the 10th. Okay, well, we'll give Ned the benefit of the doubt there. Still a bad move, but he goes to Herrera. All right. Well, then Herrera's going two innings, obviously, and I tweeted this during the game. Obviously, he's in for, for two innings, a 10th and 11th, so the Royals have, you know, through the 11th to score and win this game before you get nervous. Herrera throws 16 pitches in, in the 10th. Looked great. The Royals have an, another golden opportunity to win the game after a leadoff double in the 10th. Of course, don't, because that's how they play when there's pressure on them right now. When they get a packed house like Ned Yost has been begging for and criticizing the fans, and they produce 230,000 plus, and this is what we get, but I digress on that. But back on track here, you blow a golden opportunity. You have to bring back out Herrera in the 11th. He's a converted starter. He's done it several times. He didn't pitch yesterday. He only threw 16 pitches. Let's go over this again. 13 pitches by Davis, 10 by Holland, 16 by Herrera. 13 and 10 are easy innings. A good inning for a pitcher, a realistic goal is 14 pitch innings. So 16 is still fine. Maybe two or three pitches more than you would have liked to have seen out of Herrera. But that's fine. He can come back out easily for the 11th inning. You've still got Davis and Holland for tomorrow. So you burn Herrera today. Oh, well. You may not need all three of them tomorrow anyways. You've got Duffy going. You may win easily. You may lose. You may not need all three tomorrow anyways. You burn Herrera tonight. It doesn't matter. Throw him out for a second inning because you've still got those two who didn't pitch yesterday. can go back-to-back days, and they both threw under 13 pitches. Herrera goes back and pitches the 11th. In the 12th, you go to Jason Frazier. But if you're going to pull Herrera, you sure as hell don't go to Scott freaking Downs, who you got off the waiver wire, who couldn't cut it with the Chicago White Sox in a pennant race, September baseball, essentially, and you're going to throw out Scott freaking Downs because he throws left-handed? You know what? I could go out in my front yard and throw left-handed. Does that make me more qualified than a guy who has better stuff and better location and command like Jason Frazier? I would rather have Lewis Coleman in there. I'd rather have Francis Lee Bueno. We've been talking, we talked about both of those guys last night. How they've been disappointing. Scott freaking Downs is who you go to after not giving multiple innings for any of those guys? You gave up a damn good prospect in my mind. Okay, okay, we won't call him a prospect. Having a damn good season, kind of showing up in the prospect list and Spencer Patton to get Jason Frazier. And Ned almost refuses to use him now because he's gotten hit hard a couple of games. But Scott Downs has been getting hurt all season. You traded Jason Adam, a damn good pitching prospect, a legit pitching prospect, to get Josh Willingham, and you rested him three of the seven before this game. Like, what are we doing here? And you go to Scott freaking Downs? The guy that you wouldn't pitch two nights ago? Ned said two nights ago he had to go to Bruce Chen because Scott Downs hadn't pitched in three weeks, and he trusted Bruce Chen more. Bruce Chen was DFA'd. What does that say about Scott Downs? He couldn't make it in two nights ago. Comes in yesterday, and now today you decide that in 48 hours he's now ready to bypass the other three guys in the bullpen and pitch in a tie game? A near-must-win game against Cleveland? Wow. Did that have money on Cleveland tonight? Again, the offense blew the game number one. I'm not putting the whole game on Nettie Oast, but he damn well contributed tonight. I've made fun of and mocked people who bash Ned Yost over and over again. I've, I've mocked the term boom Yosted over and over because I think it's ridiculous, and I think Ned deserves some credit for how relaxed he's kept this team, and they came back, and Dayton deserves credit. I've been giving him credit every freaking day. So I'm going to call him out when it's completely god-awful, and Ned Yost was completely god-awful tonight. Inexcusable. And I still don't get the Knicks move either. We talked about that last night. Why is it, how does Nixon and Downs give you the best chance to win over Tim Collins or Christian Cologne? Answer me that. Riddle me that, Batman. 
you want to get even a little bit more nitpicky, I suppose we could. A couple times, Ned Yost could have bunted in this game, too. I mean, the fourth inning's iffy. You probably don't bunt with first and second with Musa if you swing away there. So I'm not going mean, to – I'm just saying you could have made an argument to bunt Moose first and second, nobody out in the fourth. He didn't do it. Okay, I'm fine with that. I'm not going to really bash Ned for that. I'm just pointing out a few other things that he could have done today to control the game. You could have bunted later in the game. You had a first and second, nobody out, and didn't. And then, of course, bases loaded with Escobar in the 10th. Great bunter. Granted, you have negative speed. I mean, poor speed at, at third and Salvi. But a good bunt by Escobar wins the game there. So I'm – we bunt all year like nonstop, and we and a lot of people complain about it. Now we can't. Now we don't ever try to sacrifice bunt anymore, except with except with Aoki last week with one out, and when he killed the rally in the first inning or what inning was that? Third inning last week. <sighs> T.J. House and Danny Duffy tomorrow, guys. I mean, this is not good. The Royals, we've been saying over and over, have built themselves a little margin for error, but now it's gone officially. Now it's gone. The Royals are out of there. Great streak. They're now four and six. Could easily be in a seven-game losing streak. They have to start playing well, and now. The good thing is Detroit and Cleveland play the next four, Monday through Thursday. Hopefully those two split that series. Even if the Royals get swept tomorrow and fall a game back, a split with Cleveland and Detroit and the Royals taking two of three or sweeping Texas, they still probably are going to leave town tied for first. Again, it's not optimally where you want to be after having a two-and-a-half game lead. But the bright side, if you want to be positive, is that four or five weeks ago, we would have killed to be tied with Detroit heading into September 1st. So you can look at it one of two ways. Either the Royals are melting down, or you can look at it as they're in good shape still. They made up a lot of ground, and nobody can play that well for that long, and you are going to have so many slumps. And now the true character of this team will be decided on how they play from here on out. So we're going to try to, from now on, choose the latter now that we've gotten this off our chest here. And I don't know why I keep saying we when I'm the one talking, but <laughs> I don't know, guys. TJ House, Danny Duffy tomorrow. I'm not going to make any predictions. I mean, Danny Duffy, to feel confident, to feel confident is going to have to go seven innings, two runs tomorrow. Anything more than that, it's going to be tough. I, I just, I don't know. And if Willingham's unavailable against a lefty, I don't know. I mean, are they going to make a move before tomorrow? I doubt it. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. Hope you've enjoyed tonight's dish on Clubhouse Conversation. Scott Downs? Why? Why is he on the team? It's Clubhouse Conversation.